Thank you, sir. May I have another? Thank you, sir. May I have another? Thank you, sir. May I have another? Hey everybody, it's Rob from Cigar Store Idiots. Are you looking for something a little extra to get you through your day? Well, let me suggest Kill Cliff. Kill Cliff is a clean energy drink with a natural source of caffeine derived from green tea leaves. Whether it be the Kill Cliff for recovery, Ignite for that energy boost, or the CBD infused Kill Cliff, they've got you covered. Go to CigarStoreIdiot.com, click on the Kill Cliff link, and use promo code CigarIdiots for some awesome savings. Kill Cliff, clean energy, killer taste. So the morning of August 12, 1967 turned out to be a very tragic day and changed uh, Buford's life forever. Um, he got an anonymous call that there was a disturbance taking place a few meters away from his house. So he gets ready to leave immediately, and his wife said, I'll go with you. Unfortunately, he agreed, and they drove through the county towards the location where uh, a car stopped right beside him. Before he knew it, the car was just riddled with bullets and his wife got hit and died on the spot. Buford was injured and suffered two deep wo bullet wounds in his jaw. And if you see a picture of him, he's got a nasty scar oh, on yeah, his face. Yeah, he's got a bad scar. It took him 18 days to recover from the injuries, but he came through and promised himself and the county that he would avenge his wife's death. More than that, there was this looming guilt that his wife had suffered her death due to the actions of his cleaning out the county so just as he came out of the hospital he named all four hitters that shot him Kirksey mccord was the leader of the dixie gang he also named three others which they don't they really don't go into what their uh their names were but the three other men um pete Hallett. Oh, okay. You the found Biloxi it. mayor, <clears throat> he was responsible uh, because he had stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from Nick's and blamed it on his law partner, Jer Judge Sherry. Uh, Nick's ordered a hit from prison, and he was later uh, sentenced to isolation for the rest of his life. Um, now, according to a 1990 AP story in the town talk, a newspaper in Alexandria, Louisiana, Nick's denied being involved in the ambush of them, of the pussers. Um. <clears throat> And uh, I think that, um, you know, either way, man, it was so corrupt then. I mean, you've even got the mayor involved in hits. I mean, it's, it's not hard to see that, I mean, any you raise any kind of stink about any little thing. I mean, you, 
you're done. They yeah. don't. They didn't seem to play any kind of shit. That, um, that's exactly what I was. That's exactly right. Because digging into the Dixie Mafia, uh, even even a little further, um, nobody was safe, and everybody was on the payroll. Yep. And if you wasn't, you were dealt with. Yep. It was like Chicago in the thirties. Yeah. Yeah. You're either with us or against us. Yeah. And if you're against us, you'll find an early grave. Yeah. Wire hangers, <laughs> concrete, concrete blocks, block. and a body of water. Yep. He imagined dying like that. Mm-mm. Hell, that might have been the most humane way they killed you. Well, they said yeah. that Buford found two of the other three, and uh, they they died mysteriously and could never tie Buford to it. Dude, I hate when I am. I know it. <laughs> That's one thing about pulling your gun. <laughs> you make sure that only one person's there to tell the story of what right. happened. So. But he um, he lost his bid to... Uh, get reelected as sheriff in 1970 and went back to being a constable for another two years. So, I mean, he was, he's six years into a cleaning spree and lost his wife. And I, well, I can, I can tell you this. If, if anybody in my family is wrongfully dead, they'll be held to pay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was calling up Patrick Swayze next to Ken. We're going to Mine's man than I ever thought about. So. <laughs> better get her because uh, she's going to be a fucking problem. <laughs> uh, and uh, 1974, August 21st, uh, Buford Pusser died uh, of injuries sustained in one car automobile accident. Earlier that day, he was contracted with Bean Crosby Productions in Memphis to portray himself in a sequel of Walking Tall. Um, that evening, he returned home from McNary County Fair uh, in a specially modified Corvette. Puster struck an embankment at a high speed and ejected him from the vehicle. The car caught fire and burned. Local speculation as the case of the rumors of sabotage in the steering mechanism and the tie rods. The state troopers working the accident. Uh, Paul Irving later became McNary County Sheriff. Irving claimed that Puster's death, death was caused by drunk driving without a seatbelt. Buford's uh, daughter, uh, Dwan Puster, a passenger in another car came up on the scene accident uh, on the accident moments later. Uh, no autopsy was ever performed on Puster's body, and Puster Puster was uh, credited with saving or surviving seven stabbings and eight shootings. Uh, Puster's memorial service was held in Adamsville uh, Church of Christ. So the people think that he was killed that he uh, that his car was tampered with with yeah. the steering. Either that, or you know, the previous sheriff, he died from automobile accident. Yeah, this son well, somebody can't drive. No, no. <laughs> they either can't drive, or somebody knows a good way to make it look like a bad accident. So. Yeah. So, <clears throat> according to the book Mississippi Mud, oh, it's a book. There's a book. The first three ambush suspects all died mysteriously, and they say that uh, Kurtzke voluntarily went to jail he to ran keep them out to keep from per- Pusser finding him. Yeah. Uh-huh. He probably gave up their locations and got got a little got safe in jail. The first one was Carmine R. Gagliardari. He's not from Tennessee. Forget no, about he it. Forget about hell, it. he ain't. They say his body was found riddled with bullets floating in the Boston Harbor in 1969. Forget hmm. about it. In he, the Boston Harbor. In the Boston Harbor. And the next one was Gary Elbert McDaniel. He was found floating in the Sabine River in Texas on February 8, 1969. Some detractors claim that uh, Pusser killed him, but supposedly he was neck deep in uh, 
some other contract killings because he tried to kill a Mississippi prosecutor. Mm. So they thought that, or, or the Dixie Mafia thought that McDaniel was going to turn state's evidence, and so they think that, like you said, Kirksey ratted him out, mm-hmm. and they knew that they could link it to Pusser. Right. And then the, the last one they said was George Albert McGann, and uh, he was killed in Lubbock. And he was a big-time gambler and was killed during a poker game on September 30th, 1970. You know? Everything that you tell me, that you're reading to me, and all the stuff I've listened off that uh, in the red clay, uh, it's just the – that's just all the telltale signs and the – it's telling the way they got rid of people. Yeah. Now, here's another good one. There's another one that was linked to him. His name was Toehead White. Oh, God. (laughs) That's his name for real. He's from Tennessee with a name like that. Hell yeah. Toehead. He ain't no Italian. No, he ain't. <laughs> now, they said that uh, the that Toehead and the local sheriff were mortal enemies, and around midnight on April 2nd, 1969, Toehead pulled up in front of the El Rey Motel, and the girl in the front seat with him was the estranged wife of the motel's owner. Barry Smith, known as Junior, watched them pull into the driveway and then stepped out to meet them. A verbal altercation ensued, and by the time the sun rose on April the 3rd, Toehead was gone. And somehow the girl had slipped out of the car and doesn't remember anything. She mm. was okay, but somehow Toehead got shot in the forehead. Shit. <laughs> Toehead's forehead. Toehead's forehead. <laughs> <laughs> they said that by doing an investigation that the guy that owned the motel didn't kill him. Somebody was on the roof, shot him through the window. Oh, wow. Damn. And that was another thing, too, riding shotgun. That means you jump out with your shotgun, go get in a location, and yep. uh, watch your spot. When you're doing a drop, make sure nobody's trying to rob you. And yep. if they do, kaboom. Yep. It's just crazy to me that they shot uh, Pusser's wife with a damn M1. Yeah. Carbine. Had a rifle. Stuck a rifle out the damn car window. <laughs> shot him in the jaw three times and killed her with a rifle. They weren't playing. They was trying to... Uh, just trying to make sure there wasn't no no tales to yeah. be told. Yeah, for sure. It's like Bonnie and Clyde. We're gonna go heavy. Yeah, <laughs> you ain't getting by us. No. <laughs> you know, like Swiss cheese when the shit's over with. <laughs> so it, you got uh, the pop culture influences of uh, Buford Pusser. Uh, he was the subject of three uh, biographical uh, novels written by W. R. Morris, The Twelfth of August, The Story of Buford Pusser, and Buford. True story of walking tall Sheriff Buford Pusser. The state line mob, a true story, murdering and intrigue. Uh, and I cannot read today. The state line mob, a true story of murder and intrigue. I would like to read that one. In addition, Morris also created a pictorial book of Buford called The Legacy of Buford Pusser, a pictorial history of the walking tall sheriff. And Pusser's daughter, Dwana, released a book in 2009 entitled Walking On, which includes uh, his life accounts of his life. In 1973, the movie Walking Tall was based on Pusser's story. It followed with two sequels in 75 and 77, a TV movie in 1978, and a brief series in 1981. It's still interesting today. Yeah, but one I watched, it was a remake of something. It was called Walking Around, and it was basically two years of his life where he spent as a as a vagabond. <laughs> it's a shitty joke. You had me, dude. God dang it. I was, I was there. Like, I was there. I, I was like, when did that come out? I'm going to research it. <laughs> I re- Walking Around. <laughs> 
And in his geriatric years, rolling around. <laughs> I rem- walking slow. Walking slow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's me walking slow. um and then a remake as the same title was released in 2004 we talked about with the rock dwayne johnson as the main character which they changed the name to chris vaughn yeah it's okay after success of the 2004 film walking tall the payback was le- was released in 2007 direct video i didn't see that one i didn't either uh the name of the main character who was <laughs> portrayed by kevin sorbo yeah that's why i uh, was chained to nick prescott that sounds uh, like a... Is that a porno? It sounds like one. <laughs> Nick the Dick Prescott. Nick. <laughs> Thick Nick Prescott. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, later that year, on September the 25th, uh, 2007, Sorbo returned and walking tall, lone justice. Can't keep a good man down. Uh, Kevin Sorbo is trying to rip off Chuck Norris and David Carradine. That <laughs> son of a bitch. I see what he's doing. He is like a he's like a weird clone of David Carradine. Are we going to find him in a closet with <sighs> a dress and makeup? No. Nah. That's, that's, that's an episode of South Park. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going down to Skidmore going to find myself time. <laughs> Here's an encounter that Pusser... Uh, Man, sorry, Andrew. I'm gonna say it. Um, I wish it would have went south for the guy that pissed him off, and uh, he didn't exist any longer. But uh, <laughs> uh, let's take a look at uh, altercation between Puster and Jimmy Buffett. I think I've heard about this one. Let's talk about it. According to Buffett, Puster was staying in the same Nashville motel as he was. Buffett decided to go outside and get some food and bring it back to the motel. Uh, Buffett, who had been drinking, uh, probably eating cheeseburgers, probably. stepping on a pop top somewhere, writing shitty lyrics, writing shitty songs, uh, <laughs> could not find his rental car. And there goes our listeners. So <laughs> he decided to climb up on a on a Cadillac for a better view. Lo and behold, that Cadillac belonged to Mr. one Mr. Buford Pusser. What an idiot! Who was not pleased at all to find this stranger atop of his car. Um. So I guess he just let old Jimmy get away with it. He didn't break out the whipping stick and smack him around a little bit. And that's the thing. They said the walking tall when he has that stick. He's going to go beat some shit up. Yeah. People. That that was the deal. You know, he was so, it's almost like death wish. Yeah. I'm going to die, but I'm going to beat the brakes off you for you. And if you've got a gun, you better make sure you get me. Because if it's not a fatal wound, I'm still coming. Yeah. Uh, Puster was mentioned in uh, season three of uh, episode eight of The Wire by Officer Jimmy McNulty in reference to a sheriff whom he plans to speak with. Uh, so they, so I guess they're trying to tie it in there with The Wire. And comedian Jeff Foxworthy in 1993 studio album You Might Be a Redneck If refers to Puster's in a, uh, Puster in a joke about his wife's uh, childbirth telling remarks. You didn't have, what did he say? You didn't have more stitches. At least you didn't have more stitches than Buford Pusser. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that was the first comedian I ever saw live. Was it really? That right over here at the Forum. Oh, shit. I was eight I years old. I forgot he came here. Yeah. I remember that, and he made fun. Of that trailer with the pickup truck for a front porch. <laughs> <laughs> they said they drove him to Armurchi. To show it to, to him. To show it to him. And then he come back and did the show you that night. You might be a redneck if. <laughs> Your front porch doubles. As a pickup pick truck, truck with a washer and dryer on the back. <laughs> that was for real, people. Yeah. I wish to God I had a picture of that. 
Uh, but yeah, wow. there was there was a trailer in our Murchie, and sure enough, there's a pickup truck backed up to the front door. Uh, in the tailgate of the truck was a, was a was a porch, was a porch. Wow, yeah. it makes for good getaways, quick getaways. Yeah, I mean, you talk talk about American ingenuity. I <laughs> <laughs> so we're looking into this whole thing. Uh, I'm kind of fascinated by the whole uh, like uh, the whole Dixie Mafia thing right now. I am too, and we kind of talked off air a couple weeks ago about how the Dixie Mafia is shrouded in mystery because still to this day they will not if you mm. knew anything about it they're not they won't talk about it so that's something i've got to i've got to read up i, I know shit about them it's so close to home too so i'm not i'm and, not trying and, to offend anybody by no means yeah but, and the but, thing is within the red clay that guy's daddy took care of east georgia well there was four or five families they all kind of worked with in east georgia well west of atlanta was another yeah it was another territory northwest georgia was another one, yeah, which and borders Tennessee and Alabama, which they're yeah. And you go through their spots, you've got to you got to pay pay your army. You know, you basically yeah. have to call and let them know we're coming through. We're mm-hmm. not trying to do anything territorial. Yeah. Then you get into Arkansas, and you've got all that with the Dixie Mafia in Arkansas and Fay- around Fayetteville and Little Rock and all that. I mean, if someone it was huge, if it was someone huge would pay me, I swear to you, I would write a hell of a book. It may take me two years, but I would go. Yeah. I may be dead, and y'all may have to pick up the torch to finish the book. Well, allegedly, one of our former presidents was a part of the Dixie Mafia yes. up there in Arkansas. Correct? Luckily, yes. they, luckily, they only use plastic hangers now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The wire ones. Yeah, but they're hard as hell to get a baby out, though. <laughs> God almighty. I took a left turn hard. <laughs> I would like to thank everybody for listening to our podcast. Uh, maybe we can regroup under another name sometime. Uh, and we were trying to get <laughs> sorry patrons that paid your money to listen to us. It's all going to a legal fund. <laughs> it's all going I'm towards terrible, a legal I'm terribly fund. sorry about that. <laughs> well, and there was a famous uh, attorney just north of here. Yeah. Bobby Lee is, Cook. That is mentioned in, in the Red Clay. Yep. And so, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that feller, I, I would love to find out. Uh, you probably can't find out too much about him, but um, somebody just write a book, something. He, um, in in the red clay, one of the episodes it says that uh, uh, Sunday Burt, the daddy Stony's daddy, um, when he he decided, you know, he was going away. He knew he was going away, but he said that the guy that was going to put him away wasn't going to get off scot free. So he started singing like a bird, and he turned to the the judge at the time and said, "You might want to take a recess because," and he whispered to him, and so the judge took a recess. The first phone call, he re- he had a phone call from Bobby Lee Cook before he got to the judge's chambers. That's how fast Bobby Lee Cook found out. Yeah. Because there was wow. seven men wrongfully convicted of a murder that the guy that was accusing uh, Billy Sunday Burt. And he said, no, he didn't do it. Them seven didn't do it. And so he told Bobby Lee Cook some specifics that only the someone there would know. And mm-hmm. all seven of them got off and... uh Stoney said, you know, me and my mama, ever since then, we never had a Christmas. We didn't have a great Christmas. Yeah, all seven wow. of them sent them money. Yeah. Every year. I knew. I remember, wow. like, being a kid, like, I remember there was things that, uh, I mean, my dad was a good man. He didn't get any kind of trouble. He stayed out of trouble his whole life. But I remember he would have stories of specific people and stuff that would go on that we would you know that we would hear about and i remember hearing something as a kid about certain people that uh you know he would that he would work on their vehicles and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh 
their their big trucks, and uh, kind of makes me wonder about yeah, some will. of them. It makes me wonder about some of them. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, and and for people that are like, oh man, that stuff don't go on anymore. Shit, yes, it does. It just manifested into into your politicians. Yeah, and the thing is, public if officials. you don't think it, you know, before the Mexican cartel had the the marijuana trade, anything south of Atlanta where there was a sheriff of a large county, that sheriff ruled the roost. You yeah. didn't do anything without his permission or him knowing. That's right. My uncle went quail hunting one time, and uh, he said they were down south Georgia. And, they went on. They had gotten on one covey of quail, and he said to the guy that he said, "All right, look, we're gonna we're gonna cross this pine thicket. And we're gonna get to this other field." He said, "In on our trip, we're not gonna talk to each other, and you're not gonna remember anything you see." My uncle said he walked through the biggest marijuana field in the south. Holy cow! In a in a pine thicket. Oh wow! He said before they ended their hunt, there was two sheriff cars there, and the, and the guide walked down there and. Come back and said, everything's kosher, man. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> no, we ain't. Well, I ain't staying another no. night. I'm getting well, the hell out of here. I can tell you this. You, that's one thing that we always knew because I, I would always fish and hunt. We we would go off in the woods and we could get in these certain sections on this creek where the, they had a bunch of trout or nobody would fish. You just have to walk back in there. Them chiggers would eat your ass alive too. But uh, I remember my cousin and I had walked out with some place where we fished all the time. It scared the shit out of me. We are back there. We are like probably 16, 17 years old. And these two, like, rough-looking motherfuckers come up out of the woods. He's like, what are y'all boys doing over here? I was like, we're just fishing. And, of course, we had all our fishing gear and stuff. And he's like, you ain't fishing here. Yes, and sir. And I said, yes, sir. And we left. We got the hell out of there. And I went back and told my daddy. I said, well, he's like, there's probably either running moonshine back there off that creek or they had a, a you know, growing marijuana somewhere. And he said, uh, keep your ass out from back there. Don't be going back over there going fishing again. So, um this motherfucker out here with a leaf blower blowing <laughs> leaves all over my truck right now. Dumbass. He works for the city. You got to give him credit. I'm about to give him an elbow to the forehead. Um, but anyways, that shit's real. You well, talking about that, my granddaddy was, he dabbled in some clear liquid in his time. Yeah. And my my dad said that, uh, they went squirrel hunting over in Alabama. And, he, and my dad tells a story. He said, I was eight. And he said, he wouldn't let me carry a gun. He said, but I was... He said, I was always 10, 12 yards in front of him because I'd walk and kick shit. He said, and squirrels would try to keep the tree between him kicking stuff and them. And he said, every once in a while, he said, I'd be over there kicking sticks and pow, pow, pow. He said, I'd walk, I'd look back. Daddy walk over and pick up two or three squirrels. He said, that's just the way we hunted. Mm -hmm. He said, they had come around this old logging road and dipped off in this uh, ravine. He said, he got up to top and he turned around to tell his daddy something he said all of a sudden you hear one shot a tree limb falls and his daddy goes come on we're gonna go back this way yeah he goes what for he said it was just a, a errant shot he said no son um uh, i'm pretty sure we don't need to be here that was yeah. a warning shot yeah yeah he said we never went back over there and score hunting never my great wow. uncle my great uncle uh marvin he um he his family they were poor but they they run moonshine He'd tell me stories. I was just a little bit kid, man. I was just kind of fascinated with it. But they had their house, and the the house set uh, up on a hill, and in the back side of it's like a ridge. Well, if you go down the ridge, there's another little building down there, uh, kind of like I don't know what it was bigger than a shed. It was kind of like you could run your moonshine operation out yeah. of it. And then it there was another little ridge that dropped off from it. 
I remember we were back there. And he had got some chickens or something, and I was back there helping him feed his chickens. And he started telling me, <clears throat> he's like, when the revenuers would come, he said, my daddy would start pouring the moonshine out in this trough, and it'd run down this bank down here. He said, uh, we'd have something to catch it, you know. We'd dump it out, and then you'd catch it down there, and we, we wouldn't waste it or get rid of it because he said they wouldn't ever find that. He said, he said, well, I was about your age. I think I was probably about seven or eight. He's like, I would run down there to the base of that thing. He said, and I get, he said, I get drunk. He said, I drink, he said, I drink, he said, I drank that moonshine until I just fell over on my back. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I, I people just, I, I think people that grew up in a depression and stuff like that, they found ways to mean something. If you're in Northwest Georgia or you're in the Appalachians or even in the territory where the Dixie Mafia is, Moonshine was just a part of life. It well, was, it was a business. I, I've gotten in form of currency. Yeah, I got into a couple of years ago. There was a, a PBS documentary. It's about an hour long, fifty something minutes. But uh, they talk about Appalachia talk, and so they interview Popcorn Sutton about how they're losing the language, and it, and they tie it to kind of like the Native American languages. It's going to be gone one of these days, and so there's the whole Southern heritage where they make the dulcimers the same way. Well, now they've started making copper steel pots, and the way they get around it is it's for purifying water, which mm-hmm. it is. I mean, you can, but they, the, their thing is they don't want to lose that craftsmanship because right, if yeah. you know someone that can hammer out copper and weld it correctly, I mean, that takes some talent. Yeah, yeah it does. But there's a YouTube video. <clears throat> Actually, there's a channel. There's a lady that works for the Southern Heritage uh, Foundation, and she does a uh, vocabulary test with her $2, and it is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my I life. I might have to check that out. It is. It's kind of interesting to me because I, growing yeah. up, your grandparents said a couple of those things. And so uh, I just got, I got just enthralled with all of that stuff one time but in that documentary they interview this old man and his wife and he y'all know somebody that dressed like they had them thin white button-up shirts mm-hmm. that was almost see-through so you could see that wife beater underneath yep. it well the guy they're interviewing he didn't understand you talk to the camera well he's off he's looking to the side of the camera he's talking to the guy interviewing because yep. that's the way he was raised you talk to somebody that's right and so you hear well what would y'all do when times are lean oh son we We'd eat anything. He said, you know, now corn, people got a bad rap. Corn got a bad rap. He said, but we'd eat everything from the corn. He said, even the mash pit. He said, you could take that and make corn fritters. Now, he yeah. said, you didn't eat it and go driving around. <laughs> <laughs> he said, but we had corn fritters from the mash pot. And uh, he said, well, what else? Do you, you ever eat a raccoon? He goes, well, hell no, I ain't eating no damn raccoon. He said, them nasty animals. And I, he said, now, nah, I eat a possum, but you got to clean him out for about two weeks yeah, with some lettuce. Yeah. I mean, my yeah. Uncle Marvin told me about that, too. They would catch possums, yeah. put them in a pen, and then they'd feed them like greens for yeah. about two weeks, and then they'd eat them. And I said, was it good? He said, hell no, it was greasy. Yeah. It was gross. Yeah, he they're said, greasy as hell. He said, but when you're starving, he's like, you just you eat anything. That's right. Well, that old guy, he, he goes, what about squirrel? And the guy goes, son, I still eat squirrel. He said, you <laughs> ever had squirrel? He's, and you hear the guy doing the commentate, and he said, no, sir, I ain't never seen squirrel. He kicked back in his rocking chair, and he goes, well, hell, son, you don't know what eating is. That's right. <laughs> I've eaten squirrel a lot yeah, in my life. I, I used it. to get up every Saturday morning when I you know, didn't have school or anything going on, and the first thing I did was look out my back window to see if there's any squirrels around the oak tree in the backyard. Yeah. And usually there was, and so I'd take that little twenty two long rifle I had, and I'd go bust me one and you know after you get about six or seven in the freezer, then mom would make some squirrel dumplings. and We would pan for our eye. Pran, I got a new tongue last week, and it's not real good yet. <laughs> I need a new one. But anyway, we my mom would pan fry them. Now, she would not clean them, but she would cook anything 
yeah. my daddy brought home. So she would pan fry them. She'd make a big old pan of biscuits in the oven. Man, we'd eat like so. My son, when he was younger, my dad was like, "We need to take him squirrel hunting." I was like, "Okay." And so I get out and I give him the speech. Now when we're hunting, now you got to be talking quiet. My daddy. <laughs> Oh, heck, son. You ain't got to be quiet. This ain't like uh, deer hunting. You got to be. My son talked for three hours straight, never missed a beat. I mean, he didn't take a breath, I don't think. And so we sat down, and my daddy goes, Go over and see if you see any squirrels. He got about 20 yards from me, and he goes, That boy can talk. I said, If that was me. When we, when I was a kid, he said, I'd have beat your ass for talking so much. <laughs> I said, you're right. I said, he said, but that's my grandson. You let him talk. And I was like, God almighty. But my son, we taught him how to clean a squirrel. And so he ate it and he liked it. And so then my dad got a farm-raised rabbit. Y'all, my son to this day, if someone says, I'm going to cook a rabbit, he'll be there. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, to, and and xbox and i mean he's your typical kid these days he uh but i think that's i mean kind of he's not losing that and i don't know it's yeah. kind of hokey when you think about it but the whole heritage kind of situation oh, it's going away yeah it i isn't. mean it's just some things that not if the shit hit the fan I, you know but if he fell on hard times he's got some knowledge about how to do that's right things. that's that's one thing that's uh, that's going away along with losing that Appalachian heritage. You're losing that ability and that knowledge to live off the to land. To survive. I yeah. mean, that's that's what our, our ancestors, that's what our grandparents did. I mean, my granddaddy grew up during the Great Depression. I mean, that, you lived off the land. That's yeah. all there was. That's all had. Well, and that's the thing. That in that uh, Appalachian talk documentary, that the same old guy that talked about the squirrels, he said when he was 10, he said they cut a road across the ridge. He said he told his daddy, he said, I want one of them little cars for my for Christmas. He said, well, that was so far away, it looked like little toy cars, and I wanted about five or six of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's it awesome. is, man. I mean, but that's what's so cool. They talked to Popcorn Sutton. They talked to uh, Jim Tom, and Jim yeah. Tom was big on the uh, shortwave radio, so he would talk. Yeah. And, and they asked Jim Tom, well, can they understand you? He said, well, you know, some of them guys in, Ca in Canada, they, they asked me to talk a little slower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I can barely understand what he said, and I'm from the South. I know. <laughs> but what's funny is on Moonshiners, they throw them subtitles up there, and I'm like, I can understand every damn yeah. word. Y'all got me reading, and yeah. I can understand you. That's why I hate when, whenever there's like an Oasis documentary, uh, like uh, Noel and Liam, they always have subtitles. I'm like, Shit, I can understand what they're saying, but they're a real thick, uh, yeah. you know, English accent, so from the North part. So I don't know. I just, I, yeah, you you say what you want about about the Southern heritage and about all the, you know the 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 negative aspects of it with you know, of course with slavery and and the racism stuff. But like you can't just throw a whole culture and way of life to the side because there were bad things in it. I mean, we could do that with everybody. Well, and and I talked to some people at a football game Friday, and I was talking about how I've seen several people. Uh, from texas on tiktok and instagram and there was one guy from texas and uh he's a black gentleman he said look he said you know the south gets a bad rap he said we're not racist he said now there was some bad stuff that went on he said but for the majority of us he said we were all poor mm -hmm. yeah black white didn't matter oh yeah he Man, said when we it. played with anybody and everybody we made cowboys and indians we played we would go spend a night at their house they'd spend a night at our house and they, we didn't think nothing about it he said there wasn't no color he said because poor don't know a color no. that's right and the thing is when you look back 
there were certain people that you were a little bit better off, but you never considered yourself a step above them. Mm-hmm. Shit, no. Well, you got to look at it like this too. I mean, of course, you know, slavery was big in the South, but if you go up north, you look at the the um, Italian um, Irish slavery. I mean, I mean, the the North was built <clears throat> on the backs of uh, the Irish and the Italians. Yeah. And when we talk about moving west, uh, that whole project was on the backs of the of Asians of the Chinese. Yeah, they built so, the railroads. Yeah. So I mean, everybody had everybody's got, got we can that all blood throw on stones. Yeah, we all got that blood on it. Oh, everybody's yeah, got the blood in their hands. So no, but I I don't possibly say with my fat tits and my stupid brain I'm not superior to anybody. <laughs> no, uh-uh. I've never. Well, now I will say this: if you feel like you down and out. Yeah. Go eat at uh, Red Lobster on a Friday or Saturday. You'll walk out of there going, I might be the smartest son of a bitch in here. Be <laughs> <laughs> beating your chest. Yeah. Feel bad because you walked in with what shorts you, and a three-button shirt on. You're best dressed one in there. <laughs> what do you mean the shrimp festival's over? <laughs> I want it all you says, can eat scampi right now. It says all I can eat, and I ain't done eating. <laughs> if you right. don't give me some more of them biscuits over here, I'm going to swing on somebody. <laughs> here, hey, here's something. Uh, I don't know if y'all knew this. I saw this. Do you know where the word hush puppy came from? No. You know yes, what? I heard this. Go ahead. So when the slaves would make food, they would make these corn corn batter fritters, hush puppies. They make hush puppies. And they called them hush puppies because when they would they would move around in the night or in the dark, whether they were whether they were trying to escape or they were just trying to just move around in the dark. Go see their significant get, other. Yeah, they would feed the dogs those pieces, those cornbread pieces to make them hush. So it's hush puppies. That's and they'd, be, hush pu- they'd oh, just take them out. Yeah. Hush puppy. Yeah. When hush the, puppy. Yeah, when the dog would come, they'd just feed it to them, and, and the dog would Damn, bark at them. clever. Was. So, yeah. Was. So huh. I'd throw that in there. So Yeah, that's a, it's a cool yeah, little story. It is. I learn something new every day, man. <laughs> well, hey, that's what we're here for. So. <laughs> Educating the masses. Clothes hangers and hush puppies. <laughs> so. Hey, everybody, thank you so much uh, for coming in this morning and uh, getting this one kicked off, and uh, let's do it again real soon. Absolutely, yeah, man. man. It's always a blast. Y'all take care. Later. Thank you, Rob. Thanks.